0: Can I invite you to turn with me to Nehemiah chapter 4? We are uh, eagerly progressing through for the sake of our guests. We've been studying the the combined books of Ezra and Nehemiah for a few weeks now. This this book was originally written together um, by a common author. At one point it was split in two, but we are excited to be in the book of Nehemiah. If you might be new to the story of Ezra and Nehemiah, the the story follows the return of Israel from exile uh, from Babylon back into Jerusalem. God's people were in exile because of their unfaithfulness, their rebellion and sin against the Lord. Yet after a number of years, 70 years, God was faithful to his promise to bring them back to the city of God his own city the city of Jerusalem and he was turning their hearts what we're reading and what we're seeing is God is in the process of of turning his heart the hearts of his people back to himself in Israel in Ezra excuse me we read the story of their initial return to Jerusalem it came in three different waves so so the return under Zerubbabel then the temple worship is reestablished God's people are worshiping again Um, and then the temple is rebuilt. Ezra brings a call of purity as God is purifying his people and making them again uh, a people unto himself. Last week, now in the book of Nehemiah, we heard how God moved in the heart of Nehemiah and then mobilized him back to Jerusalem, and, and God used Nehemiah and others to mobilize this force of people in Israel with a common vision, a united common vision as they labored side by side one another along the wall. This was a huge task and it was almost insurmountable at times. They were, as we'll see this morning, they were discouraged. They were deflated. They were threatened. All kinds of things are happening in chapter 4. So we're going to read and watch and see how God's people, by God's help, responded to the threats, responded to the opposition that they experienced in doing God's work. See, anytime God's people embark on God's mission and do his work, there will be opposition. And how we respond to that opposition is so important, so critical. I pray that your heart will be filled with faith today, hearing the word and hearing how God's people responded to the opposition that was before them. Let's Let's begin reading. Again, this is Nehemiah chapter 4. We're going to read the entire chapter. Uh, Would you take God's, God's word and open it there if you haven't yet and follow along as we read. This is the perfect inspired word of the Lord. Now when Sanballat heard that we were building the wall, he was angry and greatly enraged and he jeered at the Jews. And he said in the presence of his brothers and of the army of Samaria, What are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore it for themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they finish up in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of rubbish and burned ones? At that, Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him, and he said, Yes, what they are building, if a fox goes upon it, He will break down their stone wall. Hear, O our God, for we are despised. Turn back their taunt on their own heads and give them up to be plundered in a land where they are captives. Do not cover their guilt and let not their sin be blotted out from your sight, for they have provoked you to anger in the presence of the builders. Verse 6, so we built the wall. And all the wall was joined together to half its height, for the people had a mind to work. But when Sanballat and Tobiah and the Arabs and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites heard that the repairing of the walls of Jerusalem was going forward and that the breaches were beginning to be closed, they were very angry. And they all plotted together to come And fight against Jerusalem and to cause confusion in it. And we prayed to our God and set a guard as protection against them day and night. In Judah, it was said, the strength of those who bear the burdens is failing. There is too much rubble. By ourselves, we will not be able to rebuild the wall." And our enemies said, They will not know or see till we come among them and kill them and stop the work. At that time, the Jews who lived near them came from all directions and said to us ten times, You must return to us. So, in the lowest parts of the space behind the wall, in the open places, I stationed the people by their clans with their swords, their spears, And their bows. And I looked and arose and said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, Do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, who is great and awesome, and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. Verse 15. When our enemies heard that it was known to us, And that God had frustrated their plan, we all returned to the wall, each to his work. From that day on, half of my servants worked on construction, and half held the spears, shields, bows, and coats of mail. And the leaders stood behind the whole house of Judah, who were building on the wall. Those who carried burdens were loaded in such a way that each labored on the work on one hand and held his weapon with the other." And each of the builders had his sword strapped at his side while he built. The man who sounded the trumpet was beside me. And I said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, The work is great and widely spread, and we are separated on the wall, far from one another. In the place where you hear the sound of the trumpet, rally to us there. Our God will fight for us. So... We labored at the work, and half of them held the spears from the break of dawn until the stars came out. I also said to the people at that time, let every man and his servant pass the night within Jerusalem, that they may be a guard for us by night and may labor by day. So neither I, nor my brothers, nor my servants, nor the men of the guard who followed me, none of us took off our clothes, each kept his weapon at his right hand. Father, we pray for your Spirit's illumination of this text. We read a story, but this isn't some simple bedtime story. Lord, you have things you want to teach us this morning. There are ways that Israel responded to the threats and opposition that they faced that you want us to be reminded of and encouraged in this morning. So we pray, Lord, speak. Open our hearts and our ears and our minds to you. We pray this together in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let me, let me take a few minutes, dear friends, to just... We just heard a lot. So let me take a few minutes just to review all that's happening in this chapter. Because there's a lot going on here. There's a lot of movement as this serious opposition arises to the rebuilding of the wall. So in verses uh, 1 through 3... Sanballat and Tobiah, they are furiously angry at the rebuilding of the walls. Why would that be the case? Um, Well, Sanballat and Tobiah, they, they didn't want Jerusalem to become strong. They didn't want the walls to be rebuilt and the city to be strengthened again because... Perhaps they wanted their way with Jerusalem, as it may have been for the past 70 years. They didn't want the strength of God to be there. They wanted to to see it lie in ruins. And so they were furiously angry. And they expressed their anger and their desire to stop the work by jeering at the Israelites. Now, who was there when they were jeering at the Israelites? Look look at verse 2. And he, Sanballat said, in the presence of his brothers and of the army of Samaria. So, I mean, just to get an accurate picture, we're not talking about just two guys, you know, taunting uh, all the workers. No, there's two guys there with an army, ready for war, not coming out for tea. And so can you imagine when when they're taunting them in the presence of this army that's there to destroy the kind of effect that that would have had on the workers on the wall. They're taunting them, saying, yeah, if a fox flies up on there, the fox will break it down. How much does a fox weigh? You get the point of what he's saying. He's taunting them. He's diminishing what they're doing, hoping to deflate them in their work. Verses 4 to 5, what does Nehemiah do? Nehemiah turns to God in prayer. He turns to God and, and asks God to execute his Wisdom and his justice upon those who were taunting the work of the rebuilding of the wall. Taunting the work of God. And and Nehemiah prays and asks God, to, asks God to execute justice on them. And then he gets back to the building of the wall in verse 6. Look what it said. So we built the wall and the wall was joined together to half its height. For the people had a mind to work. Again, people are united in this. Remember, there are, there are nobles, there are leaders, there are perfumers, there are, uh, goldsmiths, there are people, a man and his daughter. Remember, we read that last week. There's all kinds of people who are laboring on the wall because they have a common vision. They, they know that God had called them to something and, and they were determined to set about doing the work. And what was happening now in verse six is the wall was built halfway. The breaches had been closed. The gaps in the wall repaired. They've still got a long way to go to get to the top. But the foundations of the work is happening. It's going forward. God's God's work is being accomplished by his people. The people, united by a common vision, had a mind to work. Now, the plot thickens in verses 7 and 8. Because new enemies appear. Let's read that again. But when Sanballat and Tobiah and the Arabs and the Ammonites and the Astrodites heard that the repairing of the walls were going forward and that the breaches were beginning to be closed, they were very angry and they all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to cause confusion in it. Now, uh, we have a slide of uh, on the screen here of a map um, of this area during this time. So let me let me just remind us of who are the players here again to the north in Samaria that's where Sanballat that's where he was from at one time he was governor of Samaria to the east the Ammonites uh Tobiah was from a leading family from Ammon to the west you see that circled in blue uh the Ashdodites they were Ashdod uh is the city of the Philistines and then to the south We have the Arabs causing trouble there as well. Now, these four groups didn't typically come together and, and, you know, have tea together. They, they, They were not, you know, formers of happy alliances. They were generally against one another. Yet, in this case, against a common enemy, a common threat, as they interpreted it, they joined together. They plotted together. So now it's not just two guys and an army of Samaria. It's all four corners, if you will. North, south, east, and west are coming against the people of Jerusalem. And now again, just try and place yourself in the story. If you're a worker on the wall and you first, you see the, the, the army of Samaria, you're like, okay, well, maybe we can take them. I don't know. Maybe we can. But when you hear that there are armies from, from four corners of the globe of your world in, in that sense, can you imagine what that's like? To hear about these armies rallying, plotting together, to come together, it certainly had its effect. The, the opposition was growing and it was very real. It affected the workers. How does in Re- Israel in verse 9, how do they respond? The people of God went to their Lord in prayer. They heard the threats and the taunts, and they put their hope in the Lord. And they positioned guards to protect themselves. Why, why do they pray for God's protection and, and add guards? Well, we'll get to that in a few minutes. Like, isn't God their protection? Why would they need guards? We'll, we'll, we'll talk about that in a little bit. But they did. They, they prayed, and they protected. They, they worked, and they watched. The workers, verse 10, what happens over time? Verse 10, the workers become weary. They were building the wall and there was great excitement, a common vision, a common union. Here we go, we're we're building the wall. Well, look at verse 10 again. In Judah it was said, the strength of those who bear the burdens, those who are working on the wall, is failing. There is, what do they say? There's too much rubble. By ourselves we will not be able to rebuild the wall. So the strength of the workers is failing. The taunts and the threats of the enemy is having its effect. They look around and they still see all this burnt down junk all around. They're tripping over stuff. There's too much trouble. This work is too big. And their strength fails. Verse 11, we read about the enemy's plan to kill them. In fact, they, they're planning A surprise attack at night to come in and kill the workers on the wall. Verse 12. The plot thickens even more because now word is getting back to the families of the workers on the wall. And, you know, maybe they sent their son or their father or some people to go work on the wall. Word's getting back that there's this there's a surprise attack being planned to kill the workers of the wall. And they call them and say, hey, we want you to come home. It's not safe for you there. Look at verse 11. Uh, excuse me, verse 12. At that time, the Jews who lived near them came from all directions uh, and said to us, how many times? Ten times. You must return to us. So that's, that's like getting ten texts from your mom saying, you must come home now. And, you know, perhaps the first one or two, you were like, oh, I'll, I'll be there soon. But, but ten times... They're coming and saying, hey, you've got to step off the wall. Come back where it's safe. Stop this work. All right, It's not worth your life. Don't do this. Come home now. That's what they're saying. So so under the threat of being killed, under the rubble and the vast, the, the huge, enormous project this was, and then from the messages from their families back home, I mean, these workers are being deflated. They are they're, they're becoming weary in the work. How does Nehemiah help them? How do they respond? Well, first, in verse 13, he clusters the families together, bringing them closer together. And then in verse 14, I want to read this once again, because this is where he really gets to the heart of it. Verse 14, and I looked, surveyed all of this stuff going on. And I looked and rose and said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, it's a way of saying, he said this to everyone, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. Do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord. Remember who he is. He is great and he is awesome. What does it mean to be awesome? It means to strike awe in the hearts of those who observe you. I mean, we we awesome is such an overused word. We use awesome related to pizza, and uh, you know, a football catch, and all kinds of things, right? We oh, this is awesome. Well, does it really inspire awe when you take a bite of that slice? I mean, does it really? We we've lost the sense. God is awesome. He in, inspires awe, and that's what Nehemiah is seeking to do to the people. He's reminding them. Of who is on their side? They may see the army. He's reminding them, "Who, who is your God? Is he puny? Is he small? Is he, is he unable to protect you?" He's speaking faith in them. Verse fifteen: The enemy's plans are frustrated when the enemies of Jerusalem heard that their plans were anticipated, and when they realized that God had frustrated their plans, they were the ones now that were deflated, and construction on the wall uh, continued on. Verses 16 through 18, what do they tell us? That half of the workers were building the wall, doing the actual work, while the other half of the workers were taking up um, the swords and the spears and the chain mail to, to be protectors against any possible attack. So they're they're working on the wall. Even the laborers, though, even those laborers who had, uh, let's say, a trowel in one hand, it says that they had a spear in the other. So even they were engaged in the work and in the protection of the people on the wall. Verses 19 and 20. Uh, so apparently, you know, the, the wall is a huge thing surrounding the entire city. There were places where uh, people weren't always right side by side, and so uh, they could be susceptible to attack. So, so Nehemiah sets a man, and his job would be to rally with a trumpet, rally if there was ever an attack. And so he says, he just gives them instruction, hey, when you hear the trumpet sound, you come and help us. And then at the end of that, look at the, the end of verse 20. He, let me just read verse 20. He said, in the place where you hear the sound of the trumpet, rally to us there. And then ultimately, he gives them the most comfort. He said, our God will fight for us. By the way, yeah, you're to rally and help. But remember who's on our side. God will fight for us. The last couple of verses in the chapter... Um, I would label this as they labored on while trusting in the Lord. They they were even sleeping at the work site. That's what it says when it says, we didn't take off our clothes. It meant that they did their work and then they slept basically right there to help out. And then they got their rest and then they go back to work and they, they just were there. They they never left the, the work site. They they labored in one way or another, either in the building of the wall or in keeping the The wall safe, so that's basically what's happening in this story. Now let me let me try to help us to think about things like what what do we learn from this, and how does this apply to our lives today? How how does the rebuilding of a wall, um, you know, a couple thousand years ago, how, how does that make any difference in our lives? Well, when encountering opposition, when we encounter Difficulties when we experienced obstacles uh, to the Lord's work, the Lord gives us three ways in this in this uh, passage, at least three. There's there's more than this, but three way that we can faithfully respond to those obstacles that we experience. Firstly, um, notice what they did; they turned to the Lord in prayer. This this may seem obvious to us. Well, of course, you know when you experience an obstacle or opposition, of course you're going to turn to the Lord in prayer. Well, I'm amazed at the number of times that I, I don't do that. When challenges come, I'm amazed at how slow my heart is to turn to the Lord in prayer. Where does my heart go? My heart goes, okay, Lord. How? Can I, and well, I mean, no. I say, all right, how am I going to fix this? How am I going to make this okay? And after thinking about it for a while, they're like, oh, yeah, let me, let me ask God's help. I don't naturally turn to the Lord in prayer. Well, I'd like to, um, but that's what God's people do here. You know, when God's, I said it before, when God's people engage in God's work, there will be opposition that rises, right? When we're seeking to do what the Lord calls us to do, there will be opposition. We have an enemy, dear friends. You know this. We have an enemy who hates us. He's not inviting us to tea. In fact, 1 Peter 5 8 reminds us that he is like a roaring lion who's hungry to devour someone. This isn't to scare us as much as just to remind us that opposition will come. Opposition has come and it will come when God's people seek to do God's work. We see it personified in these people, Sanballat, Tobiah, and the others who who rallied together against the Jews. They, they wanted to stop this work. And when we undertake things for the glory of the Lord, when we, you know, to, to relate last week's message, when we make and mature disciples of Jesus Christ, when we go to the third Friday on Saturday, uh, third Friday on Saturday, and when we, when we reach out and invite people to the bridge, we will be opposed. That's what Scripture tells us. Our enemy wants to keep people in the dark. And he will use all kinds of means to discourage us and to oppose us and to bring difficulty into our lives and to distract us so that we don't get about the work that God wants us to do. We know that. We see that here. And it's, it, it, it's a helpful reminder. We are opposed, dear friends. When we do the Lord's work, Lord's work, we, we are opposed. When, when you want to be a faithful witness to your neighbor and share the hope of Jesus with them, you will be opposed. Now praise the Lord. The Lord's the battle is the Lord's. We agree together, right? But, but you will be opposed. When you want to speak a a, a better word at your workplace, you want to share the hope of Christ with someone, you know, in the next cubicle, you know, you're going to be opposed. We see this not just personally in our own lives, but we see this in our culture at large. I believe, I could be wrong, but I believe what we are witnessing is the slow erosion of free speech in our culture. I pray that it slows down and that we will regain ground. But I, I believe that's what's happening, the slow erosion of free speech. Uh, I believe we're also seeing before our eyes in the, in the world that is around us, we're seeing that which we hold to be precious and dear to us, the very word of the Lord, which brings us comfort and hope. That is being interpreted by some in our culture And it seems that this is growing. It's interpreted, the word of God is interpreted to be something hateful. Something to be avoided and perhaps in some sectors eradicated altogether. We will be opposed, dear friends. Our, Our children feel the weight of their Christian convictions ...in a way that I did not when I was growing up. We will be opposed. And so how do we respond to that opposition? Well, we turn to the Lord in prayer. We turn to the Lord who is great and who is awesome. We see Nehemiah do that faithfully every time here. Nehemiah chapter 1, he hears about the destruction of Jerusalem. The walls burned down, the city in ruins... What does he do? He turns to the Lord in prayer and in fasting. He seeks after the glory of the Lord uh, to rebuild this city. Chapter 2, he's nervous to go before the king because he's going to ask him for a bunch of time off and uh, apparently you didn't do that back in that culture. He was very, very afraid, chapter 2 tells us. And yet he prayed to the Lord and the Lord granted him favor before the king. We see when Samballat and Tobias utter their threats with the Samaritan army right around the right there with him what does he do he turns and he prays when the threats come and they mount even more he says remember the lord he turns and he prays this dear friends is a faithful response to the obstacles and the opposition that we that we will encounter we cry out to the lord Remember during the New City Catechism, it says, what what do we pray for? Well, we pray the things of Scripture. Lord, incline my heart to your testimonies. Help me to believe that your word is true in every way. Help me not to negotiate on your word when your word is increasingly unpopular with people who don't know you. They, They think that it's, in fact, at times hateful, that which is precious to us. First... 2 Timothy 3.12 reminds us that that indeed all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Now, I've not experienced persecution like lots of other people in the world. Uh, I get um, the Voice of the Martyrs magazine uh, monthly. And last night I was reading it again about the persecution that is presently happening in so many countries around the world. And it spurs me on to pray for them. But while the opposition and the persecution may, may come in gradations, what we experience here is not what others experience. Anytime God's people do God's work, there will be opposition and our strength at times, dear friends. Isn't it true? We can become discouraged, we can be deflated. We receive a report or we hear news and we're feeling like we've just received a punch to the gut. We can grow weary. The task seems insurmountable. The rubble seems too much. Sometimes our strength fails. Listen to the pen of the psalmist. As he admits this to God, he says, "My flesh and my heart may fail. I, I know who I am. I'm just a mere human. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. I just I think that is a beautiful verse because he's admitting, Lord, there there might be times where where I I'm like the people in verse 10 where my strength is failing. I, I, all I see around me is rubble. All I see around me is a job that is way bigger than me. And I get discouraged. And I want to crawl under that rock and feel sorry for myself. My flesh and my heart, it may fail, But, Lord, you are the strength of my heart and you are my portion forever. And what reminds us of that better than to turn to the Lord in prayer, right, dear friend? To turn to the Lord. This is what we do when opposition rises, when all we see are the obstacles before us. We turn to the Lord in prayer and we ask him for the grace to make it through this day and to have joy, not Not rooted in our circumstances, but joy in the hope of the Lord. See, that's what these people did, and that's what I want to do. When we turn to the Lord in prayer, it causes us to remember the Lord, which is the second thing that we see here. Uh, Very simply, remember the Lord. At the very apex, in my mind, in this passage, at the very apex of the struggle, this is what Nehemiah did. God raised up this leader for such a time as this. In the same way that he did that for Esther, he did that here for the people of God. They're flagging, their strength is going away. Their their families back home are saying, it's not worth it, come away from the wall. Stop working, come home. Ten times they're appealing to you. What does he say? He says, dear family of God, remember the Lord. Remember who he is. Remember his grace. Remember what he promises to you. Remember the Lord. In the midst of their discouragement, it's like, it's like Nehemiah, uh, God used him to take their eyes that were, that were looking down and, and they were, all they could see was the rubble, the junk, the enormity of the task. And it's like God used Nehemiah to lift their eyes up. And he was saying, remember who your God is. Remember the Lord. Remember his promises. That he is always faithful. There's not a day when he won't be faithful to his promises. Remember the Lord. I need to hear that, friends. I believe we all need to hear that. Remember the Lord. Remember what he's promised. Remember what he says he will do. It will come to pass. I appreciated Chris reading Romans 8 this morning. That somehow in the mystery of his will all things do work together for good i confess to you i don't always see it i don't always see how it interlocks and maybe i won't see on this in this world maybe i won't see how it all works together but one day do you know <laughs> scripture says this our faith will be what sight our faith be sighted, And so hang in there and remember the Lord. Remember his promise to you. Remember his provision. He is good and he is faithful and he is able. Just when we think this is too much, we can't do it. He's able, friend. Hang in there and remember the Lord. Notice, by the way, that these dear people were strengthened. Look at how they were able to respond to remembering the Lord, to his greatness and his awesomeness and his ability. They were strengthened. It's kind of like, you know, when my daughter Ellie, um, sometimes w- when she was younger, she was very, well, we're all dependent upon food, but but she just particularly, she would get run down. You remember this, Jules. Ellie would, um, when it became mealtime, she would just kind of, flag and sink and and we would watch at the dinner table how just a few bites of food and she would like perk up and come back to life and and she was alive with us again um it's it's calling that's what happened when the people of israel remembered the lord they were strengthened again what does it say they went back to working on the wall they remembered who their god was That their God was bigger than any army that could be amassed against them. They remembered the Lord, the great and awesome works of the Lord. They remembered that He is the Alpha and the Omega, that He is the God of all creation. They remembered that He is the beginning and the end. They remembered that He had the, the power to make the blind see, to raise the dead. To make the lame to walk. This is the power of their God. They remember that he protects and he provides. They remember that he revives and he restores. They remember that he lives to intercede. And we remember this morning, dear friends, that he lives ever to intercede for us. And while we wait, he will be with us through his spirit and he will come again to take us To be with him for all time. And in the midst of the waiting, I believe God is saying to you, remember the Lord. Remember who I am. Remember how I work. And how I am always faithful to his promises. How is it then, if we would agree with that, remember the Lord, it helps us. How do we remember the Lord? Well, there are 13 things that we could talk about here. Um, I just want to mention one. I was encouraged this week when I got a text from my son, Ethan, um, and he said, Dad, hey, remember how in family worship... And actually, in youth group as well, uh, we were going through verses to memorize. um, Could you send those to me? Because I've lost my papers, and I want again to uh, remember those truths. So, could you email me those? Like, as a father, you know, it's like, well, I'll get back to you. Maybe someday I'll, like, no, okay, I'm on it. You know, you're just so excited that someone that you love wants the word of God deeper in their hearts. I just want to say if there's a verse, Perhaps this could be something that you do today. If there's a verse of a promise in Scripture that just meets you, that just helps you and strengthens you, maybe write that verse um, on a piece of paper and stick it on the, on the fridge or stick it on the, the mirror in the bathroom or stick it somewhere where you're regularly, regularly going to see it and remember the Lord. Remember Him by putting His promises in front of your face. I'm always amazed at how I can get lost for a while in something like Facebook, which I try not to go to very often, but it's amazing to me how a half an hour slips away like that or on YouTube or something else. And yet we do our drive-by of the Word of God, right? Not guilt, but just let us remember the Lord. It will be like food coming into us that strengthens our weary bodies. Remember the Lord. Thirdly and finally, we trust the Lord as we press on in God's work. We, The builders of the wall, led by Nehemiah by grace, didn't cave into the threats. They, they turned to the Lord in prayer. They remembered their great and awesome God... And they continued to press on in the work. God had work for them to do. It's not like they prayed and then they sat on their hands. No, they, they saw the threats. They were overwhelmed by the task at hand. They prayed and they kept moving. You know, I mentioned, why, why did they set a guard when they prayed for God's protection? Wasn't that enough? Wouldn't God hear their prayer? Well, let me ask you. Uh, when you pray over your family and pray for God's protection, do you lock the door at your house or do you leave it wide open? No, we pray and we work. We pray and we take steps of wisdom. We pray and allow God to use those things that we're doing as he works in them and through them. Now let me use an illustration that uh, I may have used before and I didn't mean to talk about my family so much today, but this illustration just works, I hope, and it serves you. So my son Ethan, when he was six, He's always been interested in engines and motors and things like that. When he was six, I noticed um, when I was mowing the lawn, he would he would uh, want to be near me. And so we bought him a little plastic, you know, a little plastic, uh, you know, about this high, little lawnmower. And so when I was out in the yard, Julie has a picture of this, I would be mowing with my big walk-behind mower, and there would be Ethan walking right behind me, pushing his little plastic thing. Well, about a year or two later, I said, Ethan, I think it's time for you to step up. He's like, Really? And uh, I said, yeah, so you, you know, on the lawnmower, there was a bar up here, which I held. And there was a bar down here, which he held. And I said, now, when I say go, you push with all your might, Ethan. And so I said, go. And, And, you know, he's six or seven or eight, something like that. And he's like pushing with all his might. And at the same time that he's pushing with all of his might... I've got the lever up here, which is self-propelled. So I'm like, ready, set, push, Ethan. And I click the bar down, and it's going. And Ethan's like looking back at me. He's like, Dad, we're doing it. And, and it was an exciting father-son moment. Now, let me ask you. Was Ethan working hard? He was. He was pushing with all his might. Could his push alone have accomplished the thing moving forward? No. It was too big for him. It was too heavy. It would not accomplish what we were hoping to accomplish. Now, did his father have the ability to get it done? Yes, his father did. Did that undo the work that Ethan was doing? No, he was, he was contributing to the effort. It wasn't just like fake. No, he was, he was helping it to move along. But the power was not in his ability, right? You see where I'm going. God calls us to pray. And God calls us to work as we pray. God's the one who's got the power to get the job done, whatever it might be. God's the one who can overcome the obstacle, whatever the obstacle might be. For Ethan, it was a really heavy lawnmower. And with his father's help, he was able to overcome it and use it. As we experienced challenges, mountains even, in our own lives, that we don't seem to have the ability to overcome on our own. And as we turn to the Lord and we pray and we remember his character, how he loves to give good gifts to his children. And as we do our part and we push with all our might in his God's strength, you know what happens? It moves along and God accomplishes his work. That's what I see in this chapter. They're praying, they're working God's doing the work. Let me illustrate it one other way from the passage itself. Look at verse 15. When our enemies heard that it was known to us and that God had frustrated their plan, we all returned to the wall, each to his own work. So let me ask you, what ultimately defeated the enemy here? Was it the fact that Israel found out about their plan? No, maybe that didn't encourage them, but that's not what ultimately did it in. God frustrated their plan. Do you see it? God did the work. He called Israel to take their post and and have a spear and have a bow and, and keep working. But God frustrated their plans. Do you see it? It's right there in the text. And so, dear friends, as we together, as God's people, labor to do the work of God's kingdom, as we cry out, Lord, I can't do this, help me. As we remember the Lord, do you know what's happening? God is doing the work. God is doing the work. And so I, I, I wanna I wanna ask you now as we move toward the close, um, I just want to ask you to, to think for yourself. Where in your life? Where in your life would you say there is a huge mountain there? And I don't see how that is ever going to be scaled. Where in doing the work of the Lord and in sharing your faith and in growing and maturing in the Lord, where would you locate that, that thing that just seems totally impossible to you? Perhaps it's a a child who's wayward, not walking with the Lord. Perhaps it's a, a relationship that you're you're eager to restore, but but the steps to restoration seem like so far out. Maybe it's it's even a, a sin struggle that you may have with something that though you desire to do what's right you you just right now you you say boy I'm just overwhelmed. It's too much. The rubble it's it, I just I just can't see the way. What is that for you? What is that for you? And and think about think about putting that in your hand whatever that that situation might be and and you're raising it up to the Lord and saying, Lord, I, I remember you. I'm going to keep working hard to, to do what you've called me to do. I'm going I'm to labor on. I'm going to press forward. But I'm going to press forward in your strength. And I'm going to trust that as I continue to work at this by grace, you're going to supply all the power to make the wheels turn. Friends, we don't know if God will give you that very good thing that you're desiring. We don't know in this life how God is ultimately going to respond. But we do know this. We know that God loves to give good gifts to his children and he loves to do things that are impossible. Whatever that thing is, dear friend, I'm praying that this morning you and I both could be able to to raise that to the Lord and say, Lord, I can't, but you can. As the close of the chapter comes here, and with this, let me invite the worship team to join me on the stage. At the close of the chapter, there is this great reminder that Nehemiah gives to these dear people. He's giving them instruction to come and and when you hear the bugle sound, that means something's happening and we need to, we need to stand together as one, one person and, and rally together. And then he concludes with this. He says, in, pl- in the place where you hear the sound of the trumpet, rally to us there. And then he concludes, our God will fight for us. And I believe the Lord would want to encourage you this morning. That though he does call you, Christian, to engage, to not just pray and then again sit on your hands and see if the wall is going to build itself, No. As he calls to you to trust him and to remember who he is, his character, his nature, his faithfulness to his promises, that as you labor on, I believe the Lord wants to remind you that God is fighting for you that the battle belongs to the Lord and His victory is sure. We don't know when it comes exactly, but we know that the battle belongs to the Lord. And so this is a call to faith, dear friends. Beloved church, a call to faith. You take that problem, that obstacle, that difficulty, and you raise it to the Lord and say, Lord, I can't, you can Fight for me, Lord. Fight for me. And the Lord will. The Lord does. He is faithful. Would you stand with me now? And would you bow your head and close your eyes and... Perhaps forget about the people that are around you for a moment. And Lord, we come to you now hearing this this story of faith. That people who are under great threat, even the threat of their own lives if they continued the work that you had called them to do. Lord, nonetheless, they persevered not because of their own strength. In fact, it was clear that their own strength failed. But they persevered because of your strength. Because they looked at you once again and they remembered the Lord. They remembered the God who is compassionate and merciful, gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. They remembered that you are a a faithful God to your promises. That you never betray us or leave us to ourselves. And Lord, we remember the same thing this morning. We turn to you now. We remember who you are. We remember your good character and your faithfulness to your promises. And even in the discouragement that we at times can feel, it's hard to even lift our heads, Lord. We look to you now and say, Lord, thank you for fighting for us. Our God will fight for us. Thank you for fighting for us, Lord. And Lord, we take that that request that we have, that thing that seems so insurmountable. It just seems impossible to us. And we raise it to you, Lord. And we say, Lord, we can't, but you can. And we remember your promise. So, Lord, now build faith in our hearts. Help us tonight and tomorrow morning as we get up and get moving in our day to remember who you are and to take joy and comfort in the hope of your promise to us. Lord, you are good and you are faithful. And we trust you. We turn to you now in Jesus' name.